Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardcore Finance Show. Uh, today with it, just Alex and not Shimon. And um, today I'm coming to you live from, guess where this is? This is the district. DC, live from DC. So what do I want to talk about today? I think I want to talk a little bit about whether we're in a recession or not. We just had uh, the Fed come out and raise uh, hike interest rates by 75 basis points, BIPs. And we just recently had the BEA, the Bureau of Economic Analysis, come out with a, uh, a study or the statistics that Q2 actually decreased. Uh, our GDP decreased by 0.9%, followed by another decrease in Q1. Typically, typically the rule of thumb is that two quarters of negative GDP growth equals a recession. And then you have people on both sides coming out and saying, yes, that's a recession. No, it's a reset. It's not a recession. Uh, so let's just d- a deep dive into this both economically. Well, actually, I should say both three parts, economically, uh, politically, um, and uh, which is uh, statistically. So first, statistically. So what does it mean to be in a recession? The technical definition of recession is not, what most people say, two quarters of negative GDP growth. While that is a great proxy, it's technically not a definition of recession. Why is that? Um, mostly because we need to see different tightening conditions across the board, and the recession is a broad-based slowdown in the economy, not slowdown in various sectors. And because of COVID, because of this whole bullwhip effect um, from when we pumped money into the system, uh, created a lot of stimulus, <clears throat> and then now it's coming back, right? Uh, also because of the Ukraine-Russia wars, we have supply chain issues where companies have overbought the very infamous example of Target and Walmart having so much inventory on hand that they don't know what to do with it. So they're going to start decreasing prices. So because of the uh, the bullwhip effect, um, this is, and because of all the money printing we've done on COVID, this is not a broad-based slowdown in the economy. And there are certain parts to give Jen Yellen and uh, uh, Jay Powell some credit. There are parts of the economy that are actually not slowing down uh, as fast as other ones. Uh, and so it's not really felt broad-based. In fact, just like COVID was a tale of two halves where uh, the halves were doing pretty well because the stock market was going up and the have-nots weren't, this is also a tale of two halves. The halves, while they've seen the stock market plummet, uh, the, the, the prices in the stock market, their, their wealth plummet, they still are fairly resilient, although there are certain signs that that's becoming, that's cracking. Inflation, which affects everyone, has definitely been hitting uh, uh, the lower parts of the income scale, uh, lower parts of the the population by income, much harder, much harder. And so, uh, you know, there are stories and anecdotes of people saying, we're not going to buy meat, we're going to start, you know, shifting away into into other canned goods or so because it's just not affordable to buy it. Uh, Gasoline prices have been skyrocketing. And if you're a low-income family, and you're living paycheck to paycheck, it's it's a little hard to put food on the table, right? When you have to pay much more for that food. So something has to give. You have to feed the, the family. You're not going to go on trips, so on and so forth. So uh, so the, the, the more uh, resilient parts are the higher income earners. Although that's, again, starting to crack. We're starting to see signs that that spend is slowing down. Anecdotally, people are taking less trips. Um, although, again, if you look at the market and you look at, for example, uh, uh, companies that serve higher end, higher end population, 
the Tesla's of the world, the American Express of the world versus like the Spirit Airlines of the world and others that serve the lower income halves, you start seeing a bifurcation in earnings. So there's a little bit of statistics there. Uh, and that leads me into the political aspect of this before we go into the economics, because the economics is a little bit more interesting to me. So I'll save some of that uh, sugar, some of that uh, uh, some of that dessert for later, if you will. There are many people that come out and say, well, why doesn't the administration just say, okay, we'll throw up their hands. We are in a recession. We've had negative growth. Let's get get it over with. Here's a plan to get out. It's very politically unpopular to say that's, that we're in a recession, especially going into the midterms. And so as we go into the midterms, uh, obviously Joe Biden and the Democrats want to retain their power, which I don't believe that they will. I believe there'll be a, a big Republican wave coming through <coughs> in, the, in the United States. Uh, and so the only way to do this, you can't say you have inflation and you haven't been able to deal with inflation. Also politically driven, by the way, ironically by the Democrats, they didn't confirm Jay Powell, wanted to put more uh, dovish folks in, uh, to head the Federal Reserve. So Jay Powell, what did he do? He kept the money printer going much, much longer, probably two or three or four quarters longer than he wanted to, in order to get the votes from the Democrats. Again, this is a bit of a speculation, but there's enough evidence that points that this is likely the case, right? We don't really know what was going on in, uh, in people's heads and the choices they made, but this is likely the case. And so, so Democrats really created, uh, you know, they shot themselves in the foot. They, they kept, uh, they, they put pressure on Jay Powell, and then he kept the money printers going for a lot longer than he should have. Clearly, it was a policy error. That is pretty undisputable by now. Now they're slamming on the brakes. This has been the fastest tightening we've had in the history of financial markets. And so, um, and so De Democrats going into a midterm election in November. For them to say, we just essentially presided over or ruled over the highest inflation we've seen likely ever. And some people might say, well, in the 70s, it was higher. In the 70s, we used a different uh, metric to measure inflation. Going back and remeasuring the current inflation by the metrics we used in the 70s, we would be higher now. So they presided over the highest inflation we've seen ever. And... In addition to that, now we're hitting a recession. Now people are starting to lose jobs. That's a very tough thing to uh, um, to get reelected on. Impossible to get reelected on this. And so you know they're between a rock and a hard place. You know which one <clears throat> which one do you fight? Do you fight inflation hard, knowing that a large portion of it has to do with supply chain issues? Uh, especially, you know, the Russia caused by the Russia-Ukraine war, which would get much worse, much, much, much catastrophically worse, by the way, if China attacks Taiwan. As an aside, if China attacks Taiwan, we are going to, well, we'll do these episodes with, uh, with a little bit stronger drinks than just coffee in the morning. We're going to do these episodes with straight-up vodka because we will all need a drink if China attacks Taiwan. There go the chips. We're probably five years behind onshoring chips into the United States and making them in the U.S. at, at the scale that we need. And chipsets that that Taiwan makes goes into everything: phones. Uh, it goes into our smartwatches. It goes into our 
uh, cars. It goes into literally, it, it goes into defense, into missiles. It goes into every single thing that we use. Any kind of piece of technology uses, uses chips. And especially more and more as we move to AI. So the chips, uh, chips are going to be a, a big disaster if you want to own some chip companies. NVIDIA is my favorite, but uh, financial advice. Uh, you know, so so it's going to get, it will be it'll get pretty tough so the, so going back to my original thought about about the fed and what they can do they they've been they can either democrats can either really push for the fed and jay powell to get serious about inflation which joe biden is doing but also now that we're in a recession you're kind of you're choosing between the less of two evils or i should say not fully in a recession two quarters of negative gdp growth they're not going to come out and say it's a recession because it's not politically popular to say it's a recession you cannot say call something a recession right before the elections, right before the midterms. Secondarily, a lot of financial models, economic kind of metric models, are made from the data from the BA. Uh, my previous firm uh, that I used to run actually supplied data, telecom data, voice data to the BA. <clears throat> so I'm very familiar with how they collected, you know, how, how, um, how they, uh, how, I guess the integrity of that data, right? How important is them? So economists go back quarters, years, you know, and say, oh yeah, a recession started at this date and ended at this date. You can only do this retroactively. And the reason why they're very, very slow to explain uh, when the recession started and ended is because other financial forecasts and models uh, and, you know, postmortems and looking at, how the central bank moves the economy are done by getting those exact dates. So this is not something that's going to be ever announced in the moment. It has two wide impl of implications. One politically for the Democrats, which is more of a cynical reason. And one econometrically, which is more of a benign reason and a solid reason for not announcing it ahead of time. So it won't be announced probably for two, three, four quarters, even if Q2 or Q3 is technically or Q1, wherever we end up after the revised numbers, is technically a recession, even if that happens. So let's talk uh, now from the third point, from the economics perspective. And this is the one that's a little bit more encouraging to me. Let's take a sip of coffee. This is the one that's a little bit more encouraging to me. Um, when we look at some of the economic data, we have still have pretty full employment. Uh, we're starting to see, we're starting to see slowdown in spend. ISMs, uh, essentially the manufacturing index is precipitously falling. And while you can sit here and say, well, all, aren't these things bad? The answer is when you have oil that tops a hundred dollars a barrel is, which is what we had. And you have the fed tightening. Uh, the the economy both by raising interest rates and two by decreasing their balance sheet by letting certain bonds roll off the balance sheet essentially and and mature and and you know not roll them over and when you especially when you have the most significant financial tightening in history it always ends in, in a recession so it's almost like hey let's just have a quick flush severe recession that lasts one or two quarters and it's over instead of this long, drawn-out, painful process. At least that's the way I see it. And it feels like 
we're starting to get there. The fact that we have high or low unemployment, I should say high employment, this has been pretty much the case for many recessions. In the precipice of a recession, you still have high employment because that is the last and the, it's it's a it's a it's the worst leading or excuse me, a lagging indicator of the economic activity. Why? When things when times are good, companies hire and they stock up on workers just like they stock up on inventory. It's inventory of talent. Why do you do that? It's very hard to fire workers. It's hard to hire good ones. <clears throat> and you want to be able to come out of the recession on the other side. So companies are hiring, 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 even though they all see that, you know, there's a little bit of doom and gloom ahead. Only once you hit that doom and gloom, and then that doom and gloom starts putting serious pressure on people's business. You say, man, these people who I thought I wanted to hire so that I can make it out on the other side, I just can't afford them anymore. So towards the middle of the recession and the end is when you actually start seeing unemployment spike. Why is that good? That's good because it signals to the Fed, hey, enough is enough, right? Enough is enough. Stop tightening the the economy. Start at least holding interest rates steady, if not, you know, cutting rates. And so I believe Wall Street is already pricing in that in Q1 of next year, 2023, we're going to start cutting some rates. The Federal Reserve will start cutting some rates. Again, these are just averages of projections. Doesn't mean it's going to come true. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's even going to be accurate, but directionally, right? Directionally, Wall Street is already planning for this, and we're seeing some signs of this from what Jay Powell said in this press conference, post the release of numbers, post the release of, uh, of uh, <clears throat> it was actually pre GDP, but post the release of his increase of BIPs. He said seventy five basis points, and then he said something very interesting. He said, "Now the market is at parity, at break evens, essentially where they wanted." Interest rates to go, the nominal rate, the the, uh, the Fed funds rate, excuse me. And now they're going to be data dependent. So we have a two-month break between the next uh, Federal Reserve meeting. And so if in those two months we see fall in CPI, which we should see, we should see, especially year over year, doesn't mean prices are going to come down. It just means that they're not going to increase at the same exact rate. So if we see a fall in prices, uh, excuse me, a, a fall in the rate of change of inflation, especially core, because what the Fed is doing is they're saying core inflation is less food and energy. And so what they're saying is, hey, food and energy, a lot of raw energy, raw materials is supplied to us by Russia. Let's say grains from Russia, Ukraine, energy from Russia, gas prices, which are sanctioned now that it's driving a piece of inflation that we have no control over. Nothing that the Fed can do in terms of tightening unless they really just jack down the economy and let's say our economy shuts down, no one, no one's flying, no one's driving. Of course, no one's using oil, no one's using gas. Okay, that's a possibility. But is that really productive or conducive to shut us down uh, even a tenth of what we did for COVID? Of course not, right? Of course not. We're we need the economy needs to keep going. People need to work and be productive and get paid and so on and so forth. So the Fed is not going to do that. And the Fed is also not going to increase interest rates too much for too long because we have 30 trillion or so you know, of debt outstanding. At a 3% interest rate, 
at a 3% interest rate. We're talking about $1 trillion per year that goes into debt service. Just debt service. $1 trillion is one-third of our budget. That's like, do I pay Social Security or do I just pay interest on our debt? Which one is it going to be? <clears throat> the Fed can't do this. So they will have to start cutting down rates in order to save themselves from uh, from having to pay a third of our G of a national budget, okay, a third towards just interest payments. Like your minimal credit card payment, your minimum minimum monthly payment is one third of your annual paycheck or annual take home. Wouldn't that be crazy? I think that would be insanely crazy. And so we cannot keep these interest rates up for too long. So the Fed is going to be forced to cut rates. Unfortunately, it just cornered itself into the perfect storm. Rising uh, inflation and no growth. Call it stagflation. Okay? Stagflation doesn't have the best definition and it's not very consistent. And so it's a little bit up to the interpreter. And, but some people definitely say that we're in a stagflation right now. Regardless, it doesn't really matter, stagflation or not. We are starting to see signs from an economic perspective that the economy is really, really breaking. So what's the good news? The good news is <clears throat> there are two ways of outpacing inflation. One is investing in hard assets, real estate, gold. Some people would say, I think Bitcoin in the long term, very, very much Bitcoin. And equities, especially equities of companies that give out cash. And so why is that? Because or high growth. <clears throat> if you're going, if inflation is at 10% and you're going at 50%, well, you're going faster than inflation. Conversely, if inflation is at 10% and you have a company that gives kicks back cash that you can then use in order to reinvest or use for your life, <clears throat> you're happy as well. And so in these situations, we're going to, if we have a flush down of the economy, if we have a flush down of, uh, of a quick recession, a sharp recession, and we come out of it, <clears throat> the Fed will be forced to, uh, to lower rates, and the stock market is going to take off. Crypto is going to take off. Personally, it's very important for me. And, you know, I'll just be quite open about that. But for people that are able to store wealth in real estate and stock market, in the stock market and so on, they're able to re- create that wealth back, then spend it back into the economy and get it going. So I think that's a good thing. Let's say you come out of a recession, definitionally, cut rates in order to incentivize this exact behavior. I think if anything, you know, I, I would I would hope that the government can start adopting a, um, a two-pronged strategy. One prong for the lower income, where you can have some sort of UBI, direct payments, and so on. And one prong for the uh, affluent folks who don't need any more handouts. Like the, the, one of the craziest things about COVID was when they gave a handout to, um, like, I got a check. I, I, don't, I got a check for like 150 bucks a month for kids and so on. I don't need that stimulus. I don't. I didn't need it. I just went into savings. Frankly, went into the stock market. This is how it works. I get these checks. I don't need them. I just put them into stocks. And we inflate the price by literally printing money, right? So, so hopefully the government can start separating these things and saying, hey, the, the people in need, here's what they get. 
the people of not in need, they don't need anything. They're fine. <clears throat> it's okay to, I think, be choosing in this case. And I think we all don't want the lower classes or the lower, I should say, not lower classes, but lower income classes. No one out there, the rich, the poor, the middle class, want people to suffer and not have food on the table, right? And not be able to feed the families and have to choose between driving to work or taking their kid to, you know, an after-class program. I mean, these are devastating things. No one wants that. So the government should help those people. So, <clears throat> so I mean, do I believe we're in a recession? I don't know. Do I believe it's actually, uh, <clears throat> is it, do I believe that we're in a damn slowdown? It's actually much broader than the government says? Absolutely. Do I believe it's important to call it a recession or not? Who cares? Who cares? We know where we are. We know where the gas prices are, right? Who cares? I do think we're about to hit another uh, interesting environment as this part of bull bullwhip effect. <clears throat> so we had COVID. We shut down the whole economy. We printed a whole bunch of money. Stock market zoomed up because people just put their money in the market. We opened up the world, or at least the U.S. People went out, started spending on services. <clears throat> Walmart, Target, and all these stores that bought physical goods, they're just sitting there on the shelves. So we have an inventory issue. Now we went, went crazy on services, flying, traveling. We haven't done this forever. Everyone wants to go. Everyone feels cooped up at home. Plane tickets have skyrocketed. That's going to be the next one thing to come down. And after people have gotten all this out of their system and gone back to their regular lives, remote work, whatever their regular life is, I think we're going to start seeing deflation. I think prices are going to start coming down because there'll be so much access inventory out there of services, of goods, and so on, that companies will be forced to lower prices in order to attract business. And that's actually quite dangerous because in a deflationary environment, there's good and deflation and bad. Good is technologically driven. So say technology is getting better and better and better. My flat screen TV that I used to be able to buy for a thousand bucks, I can now buy for 500 bucks. It's equivalent uh, TV type <clears throat> because technology just got so much better. It's cheaper to make and so on and so forth. That's good deflation. Bad deflation is... Um, well, when prices start coming down, and why is it bad? Because if you know that the price of a good that you want to buy, I want to buy this shirt. It cost me 10 bucks today. It's going to cost me $8 in a week. Why wouldn't I buy it in a week? And I can buy it for cheaper. And then in two weeks, it'll cost me $6. And in you know, two months, it'll cost me $4. Right? I mean, these are made up numbers, but I wanted to make illustrate a point. Why would I wait if I could just get the shirt? Uh, now, <clears throat> right? I mean, excuse me, why would I buy the shirt now if I could just wait until it gets cheaper? That's a bad deflation because it just drives down the whole economy. Everyone's sitting on savings. People are just waiting to spend and businesses are going out of business. And it creates a vicious cycle because as you're going out of business, you're desperate. You're like, buy from me at whatever cost. I need to liquidate. So you keep on driving prices down, which exacerbates that cycle. And that's the danger of going from inflation to stagflation, which is inflation, lower growth, to cutting off inflation and going into deflation, right, and really slowing down the economy. So, you know, this is a very, very challenging time. Uh, if you're anxious about the market, you know, we're here with you. I'm anxious too. 
Uh, I'm scared at times too. I have to sometimes walk away from the computer and tell and tell myself, especially if, as I look at <clears throat> prices or if I think about doing a trade here or two, to say, you know what, just take a deep breath, walk away, don't trade with emotions, don't act with emotions. Very, very, very important. So are we in a recession? Probably. Does it really matter? No. Let's get the show on the road. Oh, and by the way, one last point that I wanted to say, and I forgot to say it. The nice part from a market perspective, not only did Jay Powell pivot, or hint at a pivot, but also a lot of negative news, earnings misses and so on. Before, my God, especially in tech, companies would beat earnings and get crushed in the market. The stock prices would fall. It was just, it was a bloodbath. <clears throat> Recently, it's feeling like we're finding a bottom. And negative news are not driving stock prices lower. They're maintaining or even bumping high a little bit. That's a fundamental change, which encourages me, again, because the sooner that we get through this uh, the recession, the better it is for us to come out. So are we in a recession? I don't know. Does it matter? Probably not. All we know is that we're definitely slowing down. Let's just keep an eye out on the core inflation number. Remember, not headline CPI number, core. Look at core, core, core. Core has to get to about 2 to 3% which means that overall has to get to about, you know, four to 6%, call it five on average. Then I think we're going to be good. Until next time, we'll see you soon. Oh, like us, um, find us on Twitter at Mr. Ibida, E-B-I-T-D-A, for me, at Shimon Lazaroff. Shimon, um, like us, send us comments, and um, check us out on the finance media. 